CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your friend, your host, your ear lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, lying supine. I am supine uh, here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library because I am uh, in. I'm having back pain, easily traceable, by the way, to a thwarted deadlift attempt. I've been going to the gym, and our good friend Steve Huff made a post just the other day saying he was he was at the gym and watching some kid whose form was all wrong and he's going to pop his spine right out of his back. And I thought, my goodness, was Steve at my gym watching me? Because apparently that's what I did. I've been in some physical duress for the last week as a result of this. Uh, every time I'm reminded of how my back hurts or I Perhaps I forget for a moment that my back hurts. I'm reminded that my elbow hurts and that I also can't see and my hearing is failing. So age has snuck up on me with some rapidity. You know, it just seems like, oh, that's what happens. You get older and everything starts to fall apart. Nothing terminal at this point, I don't think, but everything annoying. That's just what happens. You get these aches and these pains, and there's just an accumulation of physical ailments and woes. Very hard to wrap your head around your own mortality. I don't care for it. I don't care for it at all. Then again, hell, I'm 51 years old. Uh, I've outlived most of humanity at this point. I wonder what the average age of death for all of human history is. Probably something like 13, you know, something like that. I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's older than that, but 51, my God, we are just, we are just living in a, in, in an age of immortals, it seems like, that someone could just be 51 years old and 
and just now starting to experience the aches and pains and vicissitudes of old age. This would have been downright ancient a thousand years ago, but here we are. And I'm complaining about a back ache because I'm deadlifting wrong. I'm probably going to go to the gym after I finish recording this. I'm not going to do the deadlift today. I'm going to do some sort of substitute exercise for the old hammies. But if I'm going to continue to look as fantastic as I look, well, I got I to gotta keep up appearances. It's also my 24th wedding anniversary. One shy of a quarter century, the wife and I are driving up to Bluffton, South Carolina tonight for a special meal at a, a place called, I think it's called Farm. And they've got another restaurant here in Savannah called Common Thread, which is our favorite restaurant in Savannah. So we're going to try their sister restaurant up there in Bluffton, Bluffton, cute little town there in South Carolina. So yeah, I'm supine as I prepare to engage in this fine American novel. There has been some Bronte news. There's a new Emily Bronte movie coming out some sort of sexy Bronte movie with her, and she's having some illicit affair with some uh, clergyman who actually did live with the Bronte sisters, but apparently the clergyman did not have any sort of romantic liaison with Emily, but perhaps did have some feelings towards another one of the sisters, I think Anne. Is Anne one of the Brontes? I don't know. But, uh, so it's in a, you know, it's a make-em-up kind of picture, but, you know, the Brontes, I feel like, are just always sort of flittering around the outer consciousness of popular culture, never quite in it, you know, never quite of the moment, but always just sort of like Jane Austen, you could go, well, Jane Austen is always just a part of popular culture, you know, like she, she never left it. Brontes, I feel like are always just sort of on the edges, never quite in, never quite out. Classic figures, literary figures, but they, they don't have just quite the same pop culture cachet. Don't know why that is. Maybe because there's, you know, there's multiple of them and there's just the one Jane and Jane herself wrote a bunch of books that are easily digestible and taught in high schools. And I don't feel like the Brontes are really taught in high schools. And so they, you know, they make delicious film adaptations and all the rest of it. Whereas at least with Wuthering Heights, I don't know what's delicious about this book. It's engrossing, it's enjoyable, but it's, you know, as we've said from the very beginning, I mean, it's dour, not a likable character in it. And we've just met a new character, the young Linton boy. His name is, uh, is is he also, he's an Edgar, I think, right? No, Edgar is the, oh God. Well, you know, the new, oh, his name is Linton, actually. His name is Linton. Is it? Oh, I can't recall. I don't know what his name is. I, I can't remember. I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. But anyway, he's uh, Heathcliff and Isabella's son, who has been living somewhat in exile with Isabella. She died. Now she's coming to live with her uncle and under the tutelage and care of Mrs. Ellen Dean. So he's just arrived. Young Kathy has been all excited to meet her cousin. He shows up and... You know, he, 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 the first thing we are told is that he has a sickly peevishness in his aspect. So let us pick it up right now with chapter 19 of Wuthering Heights. 
So Ellen has just said there was a sickly peevishness in his aspect that Edgar Linton never had. The latter saw me looking, meaning Edgar Linton, and having shaken hands, advised me to close the door and leave him undisturbed, for the journey had fatigued him. Kathy would fain have taken one glance, but her father told her to come on, and they walked together up the park while I hastened before to prepare the servants. Oh, okay, so, and then, uh, and then uh, Edgar says, Now, darling, said Mr. Linton, addressing his daughter as they halted at the bottom of the front steps, Your cousin is not so strong or so merry as you are, and he has lost his mother, remember, a very short time since. Therefore, don't expect him to play and run about with you directly, and don't harass him much by talking. Let him be quiet this evening at least, will you? Yes, yes, Papa, answered Catherine, but I do want to see him, and he hasn't once looked out. The carriage stopped, and the sleeper, being roused, was lifted to the ground by his uncle. This is your cousin Kathy Linton, so his name is Linton. So uh, so Ed, there's Edgar Linton, and then there's Linton Heathcliff, I guess. Remember, Heathcliff has no surname or forename, I guess. He's just, he's just Heathcliff. So I guess we would take Heathcliff as his surname. So Linton Heathcliff, I guess, would be his name. This is your cousin Kathy Linton, he said, putting their little hands together. She's fond of you already, and mind you, don't grieve her by crying tonight. Try to be cheerful now. The traveling is at an end, and you have nothing to do but rest and amuse yourself as you please. Let me go to bed then. (laughs) answered the boy, shrinking from Catherine's salute, and he put his fingers to his eyes to remove incipient tears. Well, we already don't like him, do we? I mean, look, he's a child. He's just lost his mother. He's been traveling, but I don't like him. I don't want to like him either. I don't want to like anybody in this book, and there's no reason for me to like anybody in this book. None of them have done anything of any redemptive quality or value at all. One stick in the mud after another. And remember, he's Heathcliff's kid. So, you know, you can go, well, how much of Heathcliff and his his just horribleness is uh, nature and how much of it is nurture? Because you remember, Heathcliff was found on the street, uh, a, just a beggar boy in rags, you know? And he was brought to the Earnshaw estate where he was raised among Catherine and Hindley. Hindley tortured him, and then, you know, Earnshaw died, and he grew up being abused and maligned, and you can understand his outlook on life. But this new Heathcliff, young Linton Heathcliff, he grew up with a loving mother to this point in his life. Now she died, but hey, people are dropping dead left and right all over early America. That's what they do, as we've established. And now he's come to live with a loving uncle and a loving cousin, and he's supposed, you know, you know, we we can suppose he's going to be brought up in a loving atmosphere. So is there just something faulty in the Heathcliff genes, or maybe young Linton will grow up to be a relatively well-adjusted young man? I doubt it because nobody's well-adjusted in this story, but we shall see. Uh, so this is your cousin. Amuse yourself. Let me go to bed then answered the boy, and he put his fingers to his eyes to remove incipient tears. Come, come, there's a good child, I whispered, leading him in. You'll wake, make her weep too, 
See how sorry she is for you. I do not know whether it were sorrow for him, but his cousin put on as sad as a countenance, put on as sad a countenance as himself, and returned to her father. All three entered and mounted to the library, where tea was laid ready. I proceeded to remove Linton's cap and mantle, and placed him on a chair by the table. But he was no sooner seated than he began to cry afresh. My master inquired what was the matter. "'I can't sit on a chair,' sobbed the boy. "'Why not?' <laughs> "'I mean, I can't sit on a chair. The hell?' "'I mean, he's been, just been on a long coach journey. Maybe his hemorrhoids are acting up or some, some such thing, but we'll see. "'Go to the sofa, then, and Ellen shall bring you some tea,' answered his uncle patiently. "'He had been greatly tried during the journey, I felt convinced.' by his fretful, ailing charge. Linton slowly trailed himself off and lay down. Kathy carried a footstool and her cup to his side. At first, she sat silent, but that could not last. She had resolved to make a pet of her little cousin, as she would have him to be. And she commenced stroking his curls and kissing his cheek and offering him tea in her saucer like a baby. This pleased him for he was not much better. He dried his eyes and lightened into a faint smile. Oh, he'll do very well, said the master to me after watching them a minute. Very well, if we can keep him, Ellen. The company of a child of his own age will instill new spirit into him soon, and by wishing for strength, he'll gain it. Aye, if we can keep him, I mused to myself, and sore misgivings came over me that there was slight hope of that. And then I thought, however will that weakling live at Wuthering Heights between his father and Hareton? What playmates and instructors they'll be. So yeah, I mean, Heathcliff could certainly come calling at any moment and say, give me my kid and what can they do? You know, it's his kid. Despite the fact that Isabella basically ran off so that Heathcliff could not get his grimy mitts on it, but then she had the audacity to die. And uh, there's not a court in the land that would keep Linton from his talons if he so desires to sink them into the soft flesh of that sickly, peevish boy. And yes, he and Hareton would have their way with him, like a dog chew. Our doubts were presently decided, even earlier than I expected. I had just taken the children upstairs after tea was finished and seen Linton asleep. He would not suffer me to leave him till that was the case. I had come down and was standing by the table in the hall, lighting a bedroom candle for Mr. Edgar, when a maid stepped out of the kitchen and informed me that Mr. Heathcliff's servant Joseph was at the door and wished to speak with the master. Well, here comes trouble. So we may not have the opportunity to run the experiment of nature versus nurture of the Heathcliff line of genetics, because if Heathcliff comes and takes him, well, then we know what the result will be. A shrunken, stunted, gnarled, and twisted boy who uh, will learn nothing more than to hang dogs from bushes and such. So, we are left for the moment with a little bit of uh, 
a harbinger of doom in the air. Joseph at the door can mean nothing good. Let us see what he wants when we return in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Back in Obscure with that insufferable, pious Joseph at the door at Mr. Heathcliff's request probably once probably instructed to take the boy with him well let's see let's see joseph was at the door and wished to speak with the master i shall ask him what he wants first i said in considerable trepidation a very unlikely hour to be troubling people and the instant they have returned from a long journey i don't think the master can see him joseph had advanced through the kitchen as I uttered these words, and now presented himself in the hall. He was donned in his Sunday garments, with his most sanctimonious and sourest face, and holding his hat in one hand and his stick in the other, he proceeded to clean his shoes on the mat. "'Good evening, Joseph,' I said coldly. "'What business brings you here tonight?' "'It's Maester Linton. I'm on spectol,' he answered, waving me disdainfully aside." So, and then we've got a footnote. Amun spake tull. Let's see what that's. It's Mr. Linton I must speak to, he says. It's Mr. Linton, I must speak tull. (laughs) Mr. Linton is going to bed. Unless you have something particular to say, I'm sure he won't hear it now, I continued. You'd better sit down in there and entrust your message to me. Which is his room? Pursued the fella. "'surveying the range of closed doors. "'I perceived he was bent on refusing my mediation, "'so very reluctantly I went up to the library "'and announced the unseasonable visitor, 
advising that he should be dismissed till next day. Mr. Linton had no time to empower me to do so, for he mounted close at my heels, and pushing into the apartment, planted himself at the far side of the table, with his two fists clasped on the head of his stick, and began in an elevated tone, as if anticipating opposition. Heathcliff had seen me for his lad on a mutton gore back bottom. So I think I can translate that. Heathcliff has sent me for his lad, and I mustn't go back without him. I mean, this is just trouble, isn't it? Just trouble with a capital T. It rhymes with uh, H, and that stands for Heathcliff. Conan O'Brien was saying he wants to play Harold Hill on Broadway or some such thing. And, uh, I, you know, I saw people sort of responding to that saying, oh, that would be terrific. Conan O'Brien is Harold Hill. And I thought to myself, well, that'll be awful. I don't see that at all. Harold Hill, you know, of the music man, is a, is a, is a slick and uh, a con, he's a con man. You know, he's, 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 got a, he's got an air of self-assurance about him, does he not? Conan O'Brien, for all his charm and delights, is ungainly and awkward. Now, maybe there is an ungainly and awkward version of Harold Hill that could sell an entire town on the merits of a, of a boy's marching band, but somehow I doubt it. It doesn't feel very credible to me. I also don't know if he can sing, not that Harold Hill has much to sing, but he's got a little bit there and just doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't seem right to me. That's a Meredith Wilson aside here in an Emily Bronte book, but nevertheless, it needs to be said, and I've said it. Now, please don't go ratting out Conan, or me to Conan. I, I, the last thing I want to do is incur his wrath. Seems like a fine gentleman, but my goodness, I just don't see it. I just don't see him as Harold Hill. Edgar Linton was silent a minute. An expression of exceeding sorrow overcast his features. He would have pitied the child on his own account, but recalling Isabella's hopes and fears, and anxious wishes for her son, and her commendations of him to his care, he grieved bitterly at the prospect of yielding him up, and searched in his heart how it might be avoided. No plan offered itself. The very exhibition of any desire to keep him would have rendered the claimant more peremptory. There was nothing left but to resign him. However, he was not going to rouse him from his sleep. Tell Mr. Heathcliff, he answered calmly, that his son shall come to Wuthering Heights tomorrow. He is in bed and too tired to go the distance now. You may also tell him that the mother of Linton desired him to remain under my guardianship, and at present his health is very precarious. No, said Joseph, giving a thud with his prop on the floor and assuming an authoritative air. No, that means not. Heathcliff mocks not content to mother, nor your nother, but he'll have his lad and I'm and take him, so no, you know. <laughs> so, no said Joseph, giving a thud. No, that means now. Heathcliff may, makes no cunt. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, 
All right, let's get the translation here. Joseph learned to speak English. No, no, that means nothing. Heathcliff takes no account of the mother, nor of you neither, but he'll have his lad, and I must take him, so now you know. If you know, you know. And now you know. Now, you're talking about people playing people. I could see Joseph playing Popeye. I could see that working, you know. Uh, just because they're, they're both kind of inscrutable. I mean, they share no characteristics, I suppose. And, and I certainly don't picture Joseph as being particularly hale. I see him as a sort of spindly figure with that kind of uh, wiry Calvinistic strength. It is the gimlet eye of the righteous. You know, they, they just believe so much in their own righteousness that they, they seem to possess some kind of steely strength, however misbegotten it may be. So, uh, so now you know. You shall not tonight, answered Linton decisively. Walk downstairs at once and repeat to your master what I have said. Ellen, show him down. Go. And aiding the indignant elder with a lift by the arm, he rid the room of him and closed the door. Very well, shouted Joseph, as he slowly drew off. Tom Arn has come hissling, or thrust him out if you die. End of chapter 19. So, ominous words indeed that I didn't understand at all. Now I gotta go back to the God. Every time Joseph shows up, it is a pain in my rear end. Very well, in the morning he'll come himself and thrust him out if you dare. So, uh, I guess Heathcliff is supposed to show up in the morning, and if uh, if Edgar wants a fight, well, he'll have it. So we're 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 in a bit of a predicament here with Joseph because on one hand. You know, we, we've said in the last episode, I think, that, or maybe the one before that, that Joseph seems somewhat ambivalent about Heathcliff. Uh, that, uh, you know, he seems to have some mixed emotions about his master. But here he comes to do his bidding. He's, he stomps and storms around and makes a, makes, a, makes a spectacle of himself. Maybe Maybe it's just that Joseph is as afraid of Heathcliff as everybody else, and he's afraid to go home and incur his wrath without the boy by his side. But, as they say, Heathcliff will be showing up tomorrow, and he'll no doubt be a, be a dick to everybody, and grab the young lad and abscond with him back to Wuthering Heights, those windy, windy heights. It's very curious. What, what does Heathcliff even want with the boy, really? What is his plan? Because if nothing else, Heathcliff is a, he's a bright fella, you know? He's certainly intelligent. What does he want with the boy? Does he just want an heir? Does he just want, I mean, does he want to punish the boy in some way? Is that, is that what this is? Because if he wanted, you would think he could uh, raise the boy well. He certainly has that within his capacity to do, I would think. I mean, if nothing else, he could send him off to boarding school or something and prepare him for the world. But but what are his intentions here? Why spoil a boy? 
We understand why he wants to ruin everybody else to some extent, but why his own son? Hard to say. Or maybe we just, maybe, maybe he'll surprise us all. And young Linton will grow up to be a, a well-adjusted young man, successful in life and love. Uh, the first thing I would think Heathcliff would do would be to change his name. Linton. He can't be satisfied with that name. Maybe he'll let that go. Chapter 20. To obviate the danger of this threat being fulfilled, Mr. Linton commissioned me to take the boy home early on Catherine's pony, and said he, As we shall now have no influence over his destiny, good or bad, you must say nothing of where he has gone to my daughter. She cannot associate with him hereafter, and it is better for him to remain in ignorance of his proximity, lest she should be restless and anxious to visit the heights. Merely tell her, his father sent for him suddenly, and he has been obliged to leave us. Well, that's very strange, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, you 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 get her, you get her all excited for the cousin to show up. I mean, remember, she's twelve or thirteen years old at this point. She's not she's not a baby. The kid shows up, and then in the morning he's just gone, never to be seen from, never to be seen or heard from again. That just seems very odd and unacceptable to Kathy Junior. I doubt she will leave it at that. Linton was very reluctant to be roused from his bed at five o'clock, and astonished to be informed that he must prepare for further traveling, but I softened off the matter by stating that he was going to spend some time with his father, Mr. Heathcliff, who wished to see him so much. He did not like to defer the pleasure till he should recover from his late journey. "'My father!' He cried in strange perplexity. Mama never told me I had a father. <laughs> Mama, Mama never told me I had a father. Where does he live? I'd rather stay with Uncle. I, I, I'll stop doing that. Mama never told me I had a father. Where does he live? I'd rather stay with Uncle. He lives a little distance from the Grange, I replied, just beyond those hills. Not so far, but you may walk over here when you get hardy and you should be glad to go home and to see him. You must try to love him as you did your mother, and then he will love you. But why have I not heard of him before? asked Linton. Why didn't Mama and he live together as other people do? He had business to keep him in the north, I answered, and your mother's health required her to reside in the south. And why didn't Mama speak to me about him? persevered the child. She often talked of uncle, and I learnt to love him long ago. How am I to love papa? Papa? How am I to love papa? Papa? I don't know him. Oh, all children love their parents, I said. Your mother, perhaps, thought you would want to be with him if she mentioned him often to you. Let us make haste. An early ride on such a beautiful morning is much preferable to an hour's more sleep. Is she to go with us? He demanded. The little girl I saw yesterday. Not now, replied I. Is uncle? He continued. No, I shall be your companion there, I said. Linton sank back on his pillow and fell into a brown study. A brown study? I guess that means like a little thug. He's not happy. He's, un he's upset. And, uh, and so he's, he's sunk back into his pillow in a brown study. And who can blame him? It seems like he's being passed around from hand to hand. Nobody wants this child. 
or so he thinks. He does not recognize the power struggles going on around him, for which he is merely a prop. And, uh, you know, one thing I've learned about my own children, don't treat them as props in power struggles between the parents. I've made that mistake more than once. And now, of course, my children are in prison. I won't go without uncle, he cried at length. I can't tell where you mean to take me. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he probably worries that he's been kidnapped. You know, here's this strange lady showing up uh, before dawn to take him on a long, meandering horse ride to some father that he's never heard of. No wonder he's perplexed, and he should talk to uncle. That's exactly right. I attempted to persuade him of the naughtiness of showing reluctance to meet his father. Still, he obstinately resisted any progress towards dressing, and I had to call for my master's assistance in coaxing him out of bed. The poor thing was finally got off with several delusive assurances that his absence should be short, that Mr. Edgar and Cathy would visit him, and other promises, equally ill-founded, which I invented and reiterated at intervals throughout the way. So, poor Linton is off to Wuthering Heights where he will live to, where he will learn to ramble among the moors because that's all they do up there and, and uh, torture animals and, uh, and fight himself and various states of misery and penury and self-loathing and abject despair, as all who pass through those gates must experience. It is not a very good sign for poor Linton. Uh, things are going to go very badly for him, and that's fine by me. I don't care for him already. I mean, look, he's fine. He's fine. You know, his, his sickly peevishness notwithstanding, he's, he's done nothing, uh, he's done nothing to merit the treatment that he's about to receive, and so I think it's fair to offer him my pity in this moment, knowing that I shall withdraw it within pages when he does something horrid, because they always do once you've passed through that crucible on that hill and so we'll leave it for now you know they you know how they did uh boy meets girl right or boy was that tv show i feel like it was boy meets girl boy meets world is that what a boy meets world that's what it was called boy meets world and then that 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 show ran and then the kids grew up and then they and then they and then they did uh the the reboot of it you know, where the kids now were the adults and the adults had kids. Well, that's what's happening here. We're doing a reboot. That was a sitcom, and uh, this is a tragedy. And I don't know if that show's still running or not, but look, we're still reading Wuthering Heights. So maybe folks prefer tragedy. I don't know. I don't know. But we'll pick it up again. Things will recommence on another what? Uh, 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 imminent, imminent is, is a terrible, terrible word. And we'll pick things up again on another corrosive episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. 
This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like this show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.